0: to Behind the Design, featuring the best in the interior design industry.
1: Hi everyone, this is Lee and Alex from Ivy. We have with us Caitlin Murray. So precociously organized and object obsessed. Caitlin grew up in Indianapolis as the daughter of two attorneys and older sister to a future neuroscientist. Wow, even that's hard to say, neuroscientist. <laughs> that's how you know it's a really fancy human. Caitlin earned a BA in journalism and art history from Indiana University in 2008, followed by a degree in interior design from the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Several years of building a career in the industry with acclaimed firms, including House of Honey and Nash Studios, led to launching and co founding her first company, Caitlin and Caitlin, in 2012. She is now the principal designer at Black Liqueur Design. Caitlin currently lives in Los Angeles a uh, Beachwood Canyon neighborhood with a large collection of whimsical things, artwork, and a cocker spaniel named color.
0: <laughs> Great to have you with us, Caitlin. Thank you so much. It sounds so funny hearing that all read out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a lot to be
2: proud of. Um, so, I would love to start off by just asking you, how. what is your process when handling a project? I saw that you list this process on your website. Yeah, um, assuming uh, part of it is to set client expectations. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about why you did this and what are the exact steps that you actually have in, in the process.
0: Uh sure. Um, yeah. So when we start off a project, uh, we found that at this point. I've I'm really trying to get really organized just with everything internally and with systems, because I think that that's the main part about interior design. You know, it's just trying to stay up on everything and manage client expectations and just be really, really ahead of it. So at this point, um, when we start a project, um, actually the first step is we, we have a consultation. So we set up a consultation, which we do charge for. And that consultation includes, um, an hour of my time and one of my assistants comes along and takes notes and pictures and we put together a whole like punch list for the, for the project. So that way, once we jump in, um, we already have everything really organized and together. And uh, it also kind of weeds out people who aren't maybe so serious about actually moving forward. um, Mm -hmm. So we're not wasting our time because I used to, you know, occasionally have those consultations when it was, Complimentary, where um, you know you would go and spend a lot of time and have a lot of back and forth with the client, and then people weren't maybe really ready to commit or very serious about it. So, this eliminates that and also gets us in a really good position for moving forward if they do come on board.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Great, and, and talking about communicating with potential clients, mm-hmm. I would love to hear how you manage your communication with existing clients. How do you set those expectations? And I guess, you know, probably listing uh, the process on your website helps, but just walk us through how you make sure that your communication with clients makes sense and they always are reasonable with how much they demand of your time.
0: You know, honestly, that's been an ongoing thing that's evolved through the years, you know, because it is hard when you're juggling multiple projects. Like it used to be just me and it was like, in a way it was easier because I was, you know, I had my hands in everything and knew everything just sort of stored in my mind. But on the other hand, it's like you miss, you know, you miss steps because you can't prioritize every single thing at once. So nowadays, um, I think that we've gotten to a point where it's more of a well-oiled machine and we just try to stay, like we try to keep clients in the loop, like even when there's not um, necessarily a big update every week we send updates about you know what we've been doing what we've been working on who we've reached out to what's kind of like still in the rafters like what's coming up the next week um and i kind of got that idea from when i used to be a publicist because at the end of every month you know you um send the client like what all the outreach that's been happening on their behalf so even mm-hmm. if there isn't you know something that's materialized yet you kind of at least can show the client all the seeds that have been planted and all the work that's been going on, because a lot of times they don't realize what happens on the back end. And I think um, keeping them in the loop and just letting them know, like, hey, we're still, you know, here for you every day doing all these things like, don't worry, we haven't let the ball drop. Uh, that's been a huge, huge improvement, I think, with uh, the client trust, and expectations. So
1: I'd love that. That's actually really interesting. So can you actually walk us through that? So once a week, you send an email to all of your active clients. And can you just explain that, uh, like how like how that's handled and what you
0: include in this? Yeah. So Laura, who's my director of operations, is actually the one that handles it. So she'll just kind of, she'll touch base with me and with Alexis, who does like our coordinating with vendors and our assistant, Stephen. And we kind of just you know go over what's um what's the latest in the project and you know where where everything stands and what our goals are for the next week so she'll just put together an email for each client that just is a bullet pointed list of like uh, you know broken into categories of what's been done what we're waiting on like what we need from them um, and then what to anticipate in the coming week? So, mm-hmm. what happens if not much progress has been made? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think every week there still is there. There's always stuff happening. Mm-hmm. I think it's just stuff that you know. Usually, we want to think maybe to like share with a client because maybe it's just it seems really smaller and significant to us, but I think that it really matters um, to share that when there, when it doesn't seem like there's a lot, a lot of progress going on because there always is, like there's always something happening. So, and I used to, I used to not send out these emails for that very reason because it just seemed like a waste of time if it was like we were in a standstill of sorts or if we were in a phase where, you know, it wasn't very busy, but I really think they do appreciate it. And I, I think that at the beginning, I used to worry that, it would almost, like, call attention to stuff, like, not happening, but um, I think it's better to get ahead of it, It, because people just don't always understand the process, you know, Mm -hmm. and while there are certain phases that are more heavily weighted in the work than others, so... (laughs) Can yeah, you send cool. it out a specific day at a specific time? Like, how? Yeah, we usually um, send it on Thursdays so that Friday, kind of like regroup if they have any questions. So mm-hmm. it's not like we let it sit over the weekend, which I, I love think, it. Yeah.
1: So I like to just summarize I think this is so brilliant. So every Thursday, you send out and update email to every single client that you're managing just on everything that's happened that week. What is outstanding on their end and what's to be coming up on the
2: following week. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Thanks Caitlin. That's so interesting. And on that point, I would love to hear a little bit more about one of your biggest mistakes that you've made when working with a client and what did that teach you? And how do you do things differently today?
0: Yeah. Um, I think that, the mistakes all stem from a lack of communication and managing a lack of managing expectations properly. Um, and that's why now we really have a lot of literature dedicated to outlining exactly how the process goes. And we really try to stay on top of, um, you know, basically instead of being in reactory mode, like we were before when people would come to us, clients would ask about things. We give them the information that they need before they have the chance to even worry about that. Um, so I think it really just builds a lot of trust. And, um, I think that's really important because when clients start to see that things are slipping through the cracks, even if it's an innocent thing where you just don't have enough time to dedicate to basically overcompensating by telling them more information than they need, they might start to lose trust and then everything just kind of downward spirals. So now we just try to make sure that we give them more than they need so that we stay in control of the project.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And on providing them more than they need, it kind of leads me into your business model and how you, how are you transparent with your business model with your clients? Yeah. As well as uh, how how have you structured your business model in a way that makes you most profitable and has this changed over time?
0: Yeah, I think it definitely has changed over time because when it used to just be me, um, I think, (laughs) I think all women have a little bit of this where, we feel like we should just give and give and like our services and our time maybe isn't valuable, uh, in the sense that, you know, especially if it's, we're so lucky to be able to do this thing that we love, um, you know, you kind of put yourself at the whims of the clients in that situation and then they got, you get taken advantage of. So I think at the beginning, I really used to let my clients kind of like run me and really like emotionally dictate my moves and then when I started um, growing, and I realized, you know, that I needed some help, and I started having full-time employees, I, I started, started sort of started to look at it almost like, all right, well, this is bigger than me. I have to provide for not only me, but you know, these people that I care about who work for me too. Mm-hmm. So I just started to get smarter about, you know, sourcing from trade vendors where, you know, we could still get great quality pieces but also make some money there. Um, and I started just, you know, asking for the amount of money that I knew that we would need to, to get by. And then really just started building a team, um, that was so solid that like the service that I was providing was really worth it. So it was still a really good value, you know? So I I did try to start thinking about it more from a business perspective where I used to just kind of, (laughs) Just think, oh, you know, it'll all work out. I'm just doing this intuitively. Like, we'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> so what does your business model look like today?
0: Um, so right now I have, um, I have two full-time employees and one part-time employee who are hoping to move to full-time. And I have one employee handling basically just operation stuff, like overseeing all of it. And then the other sort of supporting her. And then the third one doing more of the creative stuff and a little bit more of like the project management um, and then we bill hourly and then we charge um we charge just uh straight retail pricing for everything. So Got by it. by doing that from
2: the trade we you'll charge retail
0: pricing to your clients. Um yes, exactly. So we so I think that I like that process only because I think it allows for transparency with a client, like they know that immediately that they're not gonna pay more than what they would if they walked into a store. Um, mm-hmm. because I don't want there to be any confusion there. And really I, I don't source with the intention of making money on products. Um, so we, so kind of with that two tiered structure, I'm able to bill the amount that I need to hourly and then get a kickback when it comes to your product. But, you know, sometimes like that is a hundred percent, sometimes it's 10%, you know, you just yeah. kind of, yeah. you can't count on it completely, but it's, it's worked out well. And just how do you make sure that it matches
1: retail? So you'll find a product and then you basically will search it online to make sure that it is never, is that how you do it though? You'll, you'll search the product online.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, I have one of my employees, Alexis on that, and she just, she's kind of in charge of all things vendors and, and entering everything actually into Ivy. So yeah, she just makes sure that it's the lowest price of what, um, can be found by the client themselves kind of thing. Oh, great, and it sounds
2: like you've made lots of very solid hires, so I'd love to hear a little bit more, but how did that process go for you? At what point in your career and the starting of your business did you realize that it was time to bring on more people? Um, I know it can be stressful sometimes financially on some firms to make that jump. So what you know what prompted you to do that and how did you find the right hires?
0: well for me i was i was miserable because i was working all by myself um from a home office Mm -hmm. isolating myself and like i was making tons of money but like i didn't care because i didn't didn't have any time to use it like i wasn't having fun i think i got to that point where i just realized like this is crazy i need to bring somebody on who um, who's gonna Who's gonna really be able to do this job and like take these parts away from me? And I think for a long time, I had a little bit of a mental block, feeling like, how do I trust anyone? How do I, <laughs> you know, let somebody else uh, take you know, open mind. up your business? Nobody can do it as well as I can, like that kind of a thing. And then, um, yeah, I kind of just put it out there <laughs> into the world, and like I posted a listing, and I found Laura, and she's so she's so meticulous and so on it and so thorough. And I think honestly, the secret was like the first uh, two people that I hired um, that are full-time that are working for me now, neither one of them have an interior design background. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was actually really excellent because they weren't looking to be the designer and just do design all day long. I mean, I don't even get to do that. Right. they, They came in really wanting to, um, their skills of you know doing other things just being really organized really liking to work mm-hmm. really liking to you know build something and be part of a team and I think that was really the difference um and it and just kind of you know and there were other people that kind of that I had hired along the way and like things just didn't really work out they weren't the right fit and it sucks because you do have to go through that and it's it's hard like bringing somebody in and then having to like yes. you know, ways and all that but you really I think have to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Otherwise, like the whole operation will go down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's trial and, all, and, so you know.
2: and so where did you post that listing? To find I that? I
0: actually posted it on Craigslist. Interesting. I can't remember now, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then Alexis, we met through another way, kind of just like, it just sort of accumulates and then, Steven found us um, I think on like house maybe or Instagram mm-hmm. and reached out right at the time that we were looking for somebody. So it's kind of organic still. Right. So you
2: three, three hires that came to you in three different ways. That's really yeah. interesting.
0: Exactly. And I, I still do things very intuitively um, which is a hard balance for me to strike. Cause I know that I have to bring in a lot of that like practical side. And I think like Laura is like my right hand girl and she, she definitely brings that to the table where she's mm-hmm. like, and thorough, and like I think that's the other thing is hiring people that can uh, pick up where your weaknesses are, um, yeah. you know, and that are different from you.
1: It's so funny. You have a right hand girl named Laura, and we do too. <laughs> but there's a, Laura Danner was our first hire, and she, Hi. and she is a lifesaver. And all she <laughs> i a just five years later.
0: Something in the name. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Uh, So, so much about having a great team does, in my opinion, help benefit that work-life balance. But I would love to hear how you manage your work-life balance and any tips that you share that have made a difference in how you do this.
0: My thing is I try to draw a hard line with like nights and weekends with checking my email. Like I'll take phone calls and stuff and I'll go to meetings occasionally um, on nights and weekends but I just don't have my email come straight to my phone like in a way that it pops up, you know, like a notification. I just have it just ding and I just don't open it on the weekends Um, because I found that like, I'm kind of an all in or all out person. So if I do that, I really just drop in and I'll just, everything will be off track. So I have to really separate it out. And so it does make for Monday mornings being a little bit more chaotic, but um, I think it's worth it. And people seem to understand when you draw that line. So that's nice. Mm
1: Yeah, I agree. I I recently started to you know put my phone on silent uh-huh. after a certain time at night, and it has changed my life. And I also keep my computer in a separate room, and I just tell myself when I'm done with work, I'm not looking at it, and that includes weekends too.
2: Yeah, Even exactly. turning notifications off has been so helpful for me. Yeah, and having that you know blinking
1: phone every <laughs> minute
2: of the day makes yeah. a huge difference. It's so true. <laughs> Um, So I would love to end this podcast with um, your intentions for 2018. You know, we're almost halfway through the year and I'm sure you have, you had a lot of things on your list that you've already accomplished, but I would love to hear a little bit. What are your goals for the rest of the year and how do you plan on making it happen?
0: Yeah. So um, I think really, I am really focused on making more connections. in the design community like we're working on a showcase Mm -hmm. house right now with Barracot. and it's really cool because it's like antiquities and ancient artifacts and they're wanting us to you know to do a room to show how we can incorporate those pieces that they have that are really special like museum grade Mm -hmm. um, into like modern you know interiors so like things like that just really branching out and then um i'm always like trying to keep like up with just accumulating more great vendors and fabricators and then eventually um looking forward to starting uh, our own line and then hopefully getting a uh retail space with a storefront so that we can kind of have a that's exciting yeah so that's really the goal i think it's really just about you know kind of putting enough money into the business savings and uh making sure I probably need to get a financial advisor, like a small business financial advisor. Or <laughs> <laughs> just to tell me like what's realistic, but yeah, that's, um, that's what I'm hoping uh, because I think that that would be really great to be able to co- um, complete the brand and just really have a showcase for the brand. Cause I think I really would like to get stronger and about what black Locker design is and putting that out into the world so that people can really recognize it and we can attract, keep attracting the right clients.
1: And I'd love to hear in a few sentences, really, what is that brand that you have built? How do you describe it?
0: Um, you know, I think that it's uh, sort of an artistic mix of, of, you know, all of the different eras and styles and like the best parts of them. I think I really like to pull out the best of what's been done and put, put it together in a really beautiful curated way that's still, that's still fun. But that you know has meaning and that's that feels sophisticated and fresh and all these things, just all the best of design, really, just like getting down to the brass tacks of that. Um, and I and I think that you can do it in a way that is smart but playful, and that is beautiful but weird, and you know, and colorful, and doesn't have these specific rules. And so I think it's just about attracting that that kind of client, like that kind of personality, that just people who are fun to work with and who don't take themselves too seriously, but care about things that are important and care about beauty because they realize how that's part of the whole big picture of, you know, like Mm -hmm. what makes life great and like what is good in the world. So I'm just trying to like constantly go toward that and (laughs) refine, refine, refine. Yeah, that's so true in all aspects of life, right? Absolutely. Not just just the home. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for being with us today. We so enjoyed learning a little bit more about you and your business. It sounds like you're on very exciting adventures for this year and beyond.
0: And we're so grateful to have
2: you in our community. It's been so great, um, you know, learning from you through the Facebook group and other social media channels.
0: Well, thank you so much. We so appreciate you guys. Ivy's been a lifesaver, so. Um, we wish you the best as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so
1: much. we' we loved having you, and we love having you in our community. Have a great day.
0: you too. Goodbye. Thanks, Stephen.